This is the Darcy Giroux Podcast, episode number nine. Walter Block holds the endowed chair in economics at Loyola University, New Orleans. He is a senior fellow at the Mises Institute and author of The Privatization of Roads and Highways. Hello, Walter Block. It is an absolute honor to have you on here. Uh, how are things in New Orleans? Um, it's great to be with you, and New Orleans is hot and muggy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, every time I've been there, it's been hot and muggy. Um, so I'm currently reading your book, The Privatization of Roads and Highways. I haven't finished it yet, but uh, but I will. Um People have this automatic response to libertarianism where suddenly roads simply won't exist anymore. Uh, why, why is that? Well, that's a good question as to why it is. And I think uh, the reason why it is, if I can generalize way past just roads, uh, the question is why are most people socialists? Why... Um, why, when I get freshman students in my class at Loyola University, do they seem hardwired for um, free enterprise is no good, it's exploitative, socialism is the only way to go? Why is it that when Bernie Sanders goes to a college campus, um, three-quarters of the kids come out and, and uh, are just big fans of his? And why is it that we have socialism to the degree that we do? And my answer to that question, which takes us way off of roads, is biology. We're hardwired for it. Uh, why are we hardwired for it? Because a million years ago, when we were in the caves or the trees or wherever we were a million years ago, we were uh, we survived if we had explicit cooperation. What's explicit cooperation? Well, you get sick this week, you're in my tribe, and there are 30 people in our cave, and I take care of you this week. Next week, I'm sick, you take care of me. We survive. Whereas there was this other group of human beings who uh, weren't hardwired for explicit cooperation. And uh, if you were sick this week, I said, the hell with you. And next week when I was sick, you weren't around to help me. This other tribe, even though they had the same brain size and the same opposable thumb and the same everything else, they didn't survive. So biology um, uh, precludes uh, people who are not hardwired for explicit cooperation. Explicit cooperation is benevolence. So most people are benevolent. You, you and I are at a restaurant and we see somebody five tables over choking. We're not going to just continue eating. We're going to go over and uh, do the Heimlich maneuver or uh, call a, uh, an ambulance or something. And, and, and pretty much everyone except for some psychotics uh, are going to feel that way. Okay, so much for explicit cooperation. Human beings uh, have a lot of that. Not all of us. There are Hitlers and Stalins, uh, a few, happily not that many. But um, what's implicit cooperation? Implicit cooperation is the free enterprise system. Are we hardwired for that? No, we're not hardwired for that because our tribe had, you know, 35 people or our cave or the tree we were in, uh, our family, our extended family had 30 people or 40 or 20 people. Uh, you don't. Uh, 
gain a lot uh, of more children left to the next generation if you can buy and sell. <laughs> so we're not hardwired for them. Uh, I get my freshman students and I tell them about what price gouging is and they're appalled. Oh, you're taking advantage of, of people's needs when, uh, when, when we have a, uh, I don't know, a storm or something like that. Uh, or uh, right now, baby, um, what is it? Baby uh, food is... Uh, Baby formula, thanks, is in short supply. And if somebody would have raised the price of baby formula, everyone would say, oh, you're taking advantage of babies. <laughs> you're a rotten kid. Um, you're horrible. And um, But they don't realize that uh, one way to get more baby formula is to raise the price so that more people will, um, uh, what is it, uh, have an incentive to start producing baby formula. And then other people on the demand side will have an incentive not to use as much. And if the baby is already two years old, maybe not use it at all or whatever the age is that when babies, I'm, I'm a little weak on, on baby theory. I have two children, but it's been a while since they were babies. And even then, my wife uh, took care of stuff like that. That. Uh, so we're not hardwired for that. We uh, are appalled that somebody raised the price of, of gasoline or, uh, or baby formula or shoes or whatever it is because they're uh, capitalist pigs. They're oink, oink. They're uh, uh, profiteers. So I think this is a long roundabout way of answering your question as to why people do not appreciate the possibility of private roads. And my answer is they don't appreciate the possibility of anything private or anything um, uh, uh, market-oriented or, or libertarianism because libertarianism is predicated on you know privatization. I mean, my motto as a libertarian is that if it moves, privatize it, and if it doesn't move, privatize it. And and uh, since everything either moves or doesn't move, privatize everything, this is not actually ringing true with the um, masses of people, uh, not only in Canada or the United States, but around the world. Uh, we're just not biologically hardwired for that. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so you, you kind of touched on this a little bit there. Um, you know, I think the case for... Road. I think you make this case in your book for road privatization or privatization in general. It's kind of split into two arguments, one being moral and one being economic. Um, and they, are, they do tie together, obviously, but can you kind of give us a quick explanation of, of those two? Yeah. Um, uh, but before I do, let me, let me just mention uh, one more thing on roads, um, and that is that initially there were private roads. Uh, my research goes back to the U.S. in, I don't know, Revolutionary War time, 1776, or England in the, in the 7th, 8th century. There were actually private roads. Uh, they were dirt roads, but um, and they would charge based on how many horses you had and how many axles you had on your wagon. They would even charge on the basis of how wide your wagon wheel was. If your wagon wheel was very thin, think ice skates, they would charge more because you would put ruts in the road. On the other hand, if your wheels were very thick, think steamroller, you would get rid of the ruts and they would charge you less. And then what happened is that the government refused to uh, uh, stop uh, cheaters, people who would use the road without paying. Uh, 
and and if uh, if uh, and the government was the monopoly uh, policeman, and if the uh, policeman refuses to make people pay for those roads, well, it's a little hard to have private roads. Okay, now uh, the case uh, uh, in forgetting about roads for the second. What's the case for privatization of anything? And there are two cases. One is um, empirical or practical or um, a utilitarian, and the other is ethical or moral. Okay, so what's the uh, practical case for privatization? Well, the practical case for privatization is that um, private enterprise is more efficient than government ownership, and the other only other alternative other than government ownership is uh, commons. Leave everything in the commons. Then we have the tragedy of the commons. What's the tragedy of the commons? Well, uh, buffalo were never allowed to be owned. They were uh, held in commons. Anyone could get a buffalo, whereas cows were privately owned. And... Um, uh, the word extinction and cows don't belong in even in the same sentence. Cows never went within a million miles of extinction because, you know, you own a cow and and uh, you have a high price for slaughtering it. Namely, you don't have a cow tomorrow. So you'll slaughter cows, but make sure you got a few left so you can get new cows. On the other hand, with buffaloes, if you uh, shoot a buffalo, uh, you do it at very little opportunity or alternative cost because you're not going to have that buffalo anyway next uh, next day because the buffalo is going to be in the next county uh, or in the next riding in, in, in Canada. Uh, so you'll just shoot it with impunity. And that's why the buffalo almost went extinct. Now, happily, we can own buffalo, so there's no question. And it's the same thing with cows, uh, with, um, uh, with elef elephants and uh, rhinos. The reason that they're in danger of extinction is you can't own them in Africa. They're, they're free, uh, running free or whatever. And the same with fish, whales, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, tuna, whatever. Okay, so uh, commons is, is not a good practical way to own things. Well, what about government ownership? Well, you know, uh, we have the post office and motor vehicle bureau, uh, which are synonymous with inefficiency. Why? Because if they do a bad job, they don't go broke. They just uh, get a more of a tax subsidy. Whereas uh, if there was a private um, uh, Burger King or McDonald's or Wendy's or something and they didn't do a good job, uh, they would go broke. That's why uh, the ones that remain are pretty good, whereas uh, government enterprise don't, don't have that uh, extra benefit of, uh, of making more profit if you do a good job and uh, losing money if you do a bad job and, and then going broke. Uh, in the government, uh, it, it works the other way. It works almost the opposite way. If you do a bad job, you get more money. If you do a good job and, and you're collecting money, well, then you don't get more money. So uh, the uh, system is very inefficient. So that's the practical way uh, for the uh, practical argument for privatizing anything up to and including roads. Well, what's the moral argument? Well, the moral argument or ethical argument is that, um, you know, if I'm wearing a shirt and, and if you can just come along and grab it, well, uh, that is unless I stole it from you yesterday and you're now just repossessing it. Um, that, that would be uh, highly problematic from an ethical point of view. So from an ethical point of view is um, we own ourselves 
and and if you try to grab me, not my shirt, uh, without my permission, that's called slavery, and and that's uh, uh, a bad thing, uh, certainly a, an immoral, evil thing. But you know, uh, I I then went out and um, uh, when I was naked, let's say uh, in the trees or whatever, and and I uh, uh, I don't know, uh, put in a, 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 a corn plant, and and I grew corn, and. And you um, domesticated a cow, and now you have milk. Well, you own the milk, and and I own I own the corn. I mean, if I produce the corn, I should own it. And and if you can come grab the corn without my permission, well, that that's um, problematic from an ethical point of view. And if I can grab milk that you produce with your cow, that equally uh, invasive. And a much better way, a moral way, is we trade. We have barter. You know, you give me some milk, I give you some corn, and and now we're off to the um, free enterprise races. So I think that there's a case to be made on two grounds for privatization, and one is uh, practical or utilitarian or pragmatic, and the other is ethical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, at the beginning of your book you make the point that if any privately owned institution caused as much death as government owned roads, they, you know, obviously, like you just pointed out, they would no longer be in business. Um, can you expand on the passivity of people to accept that poor level of service from the state and, uh, and then explain the type of market processes that would correct for safety issues yeah well you know the, there's this aphorism or saying or whatever uh, death and taxes are inevitable I, I'm probably not saying it correctly but something along those lines that uh, uh, death and taxes are always with us or whatever and 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 I would say not only death and taxes but government roads are always with us if I could extrapolate and add on a bit well uh I, I don't know. I think if we had free enterprise, eventually we'd overcome death. We'd uh, come up with ways of uh, living forever or living uh, the biblical, what is it, 900 years or something uh, crazy like that or a thousand years. Uh, I, I think, you know, that eventually, if we could ever do that, it would be done with the benefits of uh, free enterprise. And, and I think taxes, um, look, uh, there are many types of libertarians. Uh, there's the anarcho-capitalist, of which I am, and we believe that government per se is um, uh, illicit and we shouldn't have taxes. Uh, there, there are libertarians who are archists, namely who believe in limited government, and they would believe that uh, we should have taxes. For example, Milton Friedman, I once asked him, well, what's the optimal size of taxes? And he said um, uh, 10% which he got from the Bible, I guess, you know, um, you're supposed to uh, tithe. And he said, well, if it's enough for the church, it ought to be enough for the, for the, uh, for the government. So that, so that I, I would consider him a libertarian. And even though he favors taxes, uh, but very limited taxes and very limited government. And so libertarianism sort of, um, uh, covers the water on, on that from, um, from, um, uh, uh Zero taxes to 10%. I think if you go above 10%, then you're edging out of libertarianism. So I don't think death and taxes are inevitable. Uh, and I don't think that roads are 
uh, inevitably owned by government. As I mentioned just before, uh, in history, there were cases of private roads, but the government uh, refused to support them um, uh, um, uh, to stop uh, free riders or free loaders or, or thieves. Okay, now, the getting back to roads, my main motivation for writing the book was the fact that some almost 40,000 people in the United States die every year. And in Canada, it's about one-tenth, something like 3,500, 4,000 people every year in Canada die. And just to put that in into context, uh, how many people died in 9-11? It was only 3,000. And yet, People got very upset in 9-11 when they knocked down those buildings. And, and, and uh, I mean, that was horrible. And look, every life is precious. Some little girl gets uh, drops into a well, and everybody and his uncle is trying to save her because every life is precious. Uh, but this is 40,000 lives. And um, uh, give you one more context. I'm in New Orleans. We had Katrina. And uh, 1,900 people died in Katrina. Uh, it wasn't really Katrina's fault. It was the Army Corps of Engineers who, uh, whose levees fell. And, and, if, and, and, and the problem is they're still in business. They're still in charge of Mississippi and every other river. Whereas if that river was privatized, and by the way, I have another book out on why we should privatize oceans and rivers and lakes, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers wouldn't be in charge of anything. They'd be They'd be broke. If McDonald's killed 1,900 people, there'd be no more McDonald's. Unfortunately, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers is still there. In any case, my main motivation for writing the book was to save lives uh, and also to exemplify libertarianism, uh, promote liberty, uh, which is something I do uh, in my career. Well, both, actually. And... Um, my secondary motivation was traffic congestion, which is a pain in the neck, you know, a rush hour from, I don't know, 8 until 9.30 and then 4.30 till 5.30. You just sort of sit there and, and um, uh, twiddle your thumbs. So that was the uh, the next question I wanted you to get into was ex explaining how uh, on a private road, a price system can help with uh, congestion and rush hour traffic and that sort of thing. Okay, well, that, again, that's the minor thing. The major thing was the, the deaths, and we'll get into that in a second. But um, what you have in economics called a thing called peak load pricing, namely, um, well, uh, you know, I, I spent half my life in Vancouver, British Columbia, and uh, we have um, uh, mountains there and skiing. And they charge more during the winter than they do during the summer. The ski resorts, Grouse Mountain, uh, 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 are used uh, in, in the summer also. People uh, tour, tourist it up around there, but they charge less because many fewer people want to be there in the summer. But in the winter, a lot of people want to be um, on, on Whistler or Grouse or uh, Seymour or any of those mountains, and they charge more. And uh, movies uh, – usually charge more on a Saturday night than on a Tuesday afternoon. So they'll, they'll give a, a lower price on Tuesday afternoon in order to encourage people to go for the matinee. And similarly, uh, for the same meal, a restaurant will charge more at dinner than at lunch because more people want to go out for dinner. Uh, and and, and uh, the same thing with New Orleans. Uh, our um, uh, tourist season is in the winter. 
in the summer it gets pretty hot here and pretty muggy, but in, in the winter it's very nice. <clears throat> so the hotels charge more in the winter. So that's peak load pricing, and that's a, <clears throat> a way of um, ironing out the demand for the service. Well, uh, what you do is the a private road owner, what the private road owner would do is during the rush hour, uh, say 8 to 10 in the morning and 5 to 7 at night or whenever it is, they would charge more. And then people would be encouraged to engage in um, um, uh, carpooling and uh, riding a bus, or, 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 or and entrepreneurs would be in a um, have an incentive to start uh, rescheduling. Not everyone has to work from nine to five. You could uh, have some people working from eight to six, or seven to four, or uh, ten to seven, or whatever, whatever it is. And and that way you'd spread out the um, uh, demand. But uh, they don't really <laughs> they don't do that. They don't charge any more. Uh, they don't charge at all. Uh, rather, they get their money through the gas tax or uh, some other way like that or uh, a bridge. Uh, they won't charge more for the George Washington Bridge uh, uh, during the uh, three in the morning or three in the afternoon. It'll be the same thing. Uh, so there's no peak load pricing. So if one of the benefits, a minor benefit of privatization of roads and highways would be, I predict, that they would engage in peak load pricing like hotels do and, and ski resorts. And that would iron out the, um, uh, the use of the road. And, and now, instead of uh, just sitting there in bumper-to-bumper um, uh, -bumper traffic, you could um, actually move around a little bit at, at all hours. So that would be the, um, the benefit, one minor benefit of uh, privatization of roads. Yeah, and sorry if I if I cut you off. Was there more that you wanted to say on the uh, amount of deaths and safety on government-owned roads? Oh yeah, well I think that you didn't cut me off, but now I think that's the the, the crux of the issue. That that's the the main benefit uh, that we would save lives. So let's d discuss that a little bit because that's very very important. How, how could you save lives? A lot of people, the critics, uh, by the way, the way my book is uh, organized is the first half of it is how, how we could save lives and, and reduce traffic congestion. And the second half of it is all sorts of objections. Oh, you can't do that because of this, and, and private roads wouldn't work because of that, and then my response is to it. Okay, so uh, what's the usual analysis on the part of traffic engineers who really ought to know better? Why do they say we have so many deaths? And they'll come up with a list. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration uh, in the United States uh, came up with something like 230 causes of death. The main ones are speeding and um, uh, driving while drunk, driving under the influence, and uh, vehicle uh, malfunction and driver inattention, texting or whatever. But they've got uh, I think something like 215 or 230 uh, causes. For example, how far away is the road away from a hospital? Because the closer it is to a hospital, the fewer the deaths. Uh, do we have ambulances, um, uh, helicopter ambulances? Well, yes. Well, then we'll have fewer deaths. So look at how meticulous uh, they're getting as to uh, the causes of death. I mean, if you're talking about ambulances and hospital location, you're really uh, digging deep into the barrel of causes of death. But the main ones are drunken driving and speeding and um, bad weather and uh, ice or something like that. 
And what I say is that that is not really, those are only um, proximate causes of death. They're not ultimate causes of death. So what's the difference between a proximate and ultimate cause of death? Well, let's make an analogy, restaurants. You and I are now experts on restaurant uh, going broke and we're brought in uh, managerial experts and we're trying to figure out why the restaurant went broke and we start saying things like well the chef was lousy the food was lousy uh, the location was on a cul-de-sac and nobody ever rode by it and uh, they didn't keep the place clean and um, uh, the waitress was surly and and those are just proximate causes the ultimate cause is the manager the manager had his head where his head shouldn't be. Uh, the manager should have uh, hired a better waitress who didn't snarl at people. The manager should have hired a better chef. The manager shouldn't have located on a cul-de-sac. The manager should have located on, you know, two main cross streets or uh, something like where there's a lot of traffic. It would be the manager who was really the ultimate cause of the restaurant failure, not all, not the failure to sweep the place and, and keep it clean and, and stuff like that. Well, now let's get back to roads. It's not uh, speeding. It's the manager who didn't deal with speeding. It's not drunken driving. It's the manager who didn't deal with drunken driving. It's not um, uh, texting. It's the manager, the owner of the road, who didn't deal with it. So what I'm, I, what, then what I do is I go for a chapter or two, what, what could they do? And, uh, for example, um, um, uh, right now on, on the U.S. highways, the minimum speed is 40 and the maximum speed is 70. And that's made in Washington, and that applies to all the highways. Well, I tell you, if I owned a road, you know what I would do? I would start experimenting, and I would say, well, you know, maybe that's not the, the best way to deal with, with speeding. Maybe a better way to deal with speeding is that each lane of a three-lane highway would have a different speed. On the right lane, everyone does 55. In the middle lane, everyone does 70. And in the left lane, everyone does 85. And I don't mean 84 or 86. I mean, everyone does 85. And I don't mean in the middle lane that you can do 69 or 71. You've got to do 70. Well, uh, one mile an hour, what the heck. But uh, you got to uh, – not, not only are we going to have three different speed lanes for the three, uh, three different speeds for the three different lanes, but everyone's got to do the same, roughly the same speed in their lane. Would that save lives? I don't know. I'm not a, a, a traffic engineer. I'm just a, uh, just a, an economist, a mere economist. But I, I, can, I have a brain. I can speculate. Now, you on your road, you might uh, do something different. Uh, you might say that um, uh, anyone who you, you know on on the, uh, on uh, at present, if you do seventy in the left lane, uh, you're perfectly legal. And and what happens if you do seventy in the left lane is everyone goes by you on the right lane and the middle lane because you're slowing up traffic. Because uh, especially on a sunny, clear day with not much traffic, most people are doing seventy-five, eighty on the left lane. And if you're sitting there doing even sixty-five in the left lane. Uh, it's legal, and yet you're going to be causing accidents. So on your road, you're going to make a big fetish out of this. You're going to say, oh, well, uh, anyone passing on the right, the guy on the left is um, going to get a ticket, and he's going to pay big for slowing down traffic, and make, and maybe it's lane changing that, that creates. Uh, so the, the point that I'm trying to make is just like McDonald's has a different thing from Domino's Pizza, has a different thing from the Chinese restaurant. Each um, restaurant entrepreneur is trying something different.
Well, on if we had private roads, the entrepreneurs would try things that are different. And then if my road really did a good job and your road did a bad job and they were parallel roads, uh, I would uh, advertise and say, you know, you, you go on uh, Darcy's road and it's Death Highway and uh, uh, come to my road. It's true, I'm going to charge a little more, but my road is safer. And and you're going to uh, advertise also. And, and namely, roads will now be more like grocery stores or uh, restaurants or shoe stores or the things that are pretty good. Not that groceries and, and shoe stores and shirt stores are perfect, but they're pretty good. Uh, there's no shirt problem or shoe problem because it's in free, under free enterprise. Well, if we put roads under uh, the aegis of free enterprise, would, would there still be deaths? Yes, there would still be deaths. But my estimate is in, in the United States, instead of 40,000, it's about 10,000. Where did I get that from? I extrapolated from uh, cases where private and public enterprise uh, operate uh, both at the same time. For example, uh, sanitation. And uh, sanitation, uh, the private sanitation is three to four times more efficient. And the same thing with post office and FedEx versus the, uh, the U.S. post office. So I extrapolate from that. It's just a guess. And I figured, well, maybe 10,000 deaths. Well, look, 10,000 deaths is not good, but it's better than 40. And in Canada, uh, you know, instead of 4,000, 1,000, save 3,000 lives. So uh, these are ways. Uh, let me give you just one more uh, example. Sometimes you're driving along a highway and you see two of those big fat trucks, the 18 wheelers, and one is behind the other. And you know it, the one behind the other is going to pass the other one. And it's going to take 15 miles and 15 minutes for it to occur. So what you do is you step on the gas, you go up to 95 to get past those trucks. Well, you go to 95 and, and uh, all of a sudden it's very dangerous. Uh, so what on my road, what I would do is I'd make a rule that when truck A is trying to pass truck B, truck B should slow down for, you know, five seconds and let the other truck pass. And if he doesn't, I'm going to give him a ticket. So that would be another way of saving lives. Another way is whenever there's a, I don't know, a curve in the road and there are more deaths, I'm going to put a 50-foot Jewish star or a Christian cross or a Muslim, um, whatever their symbol is, uh, going to be 50 or 100 feet high and maybe to scare the, the pants off of people. Uh, and I, I've got, I don't know, dozens of concoctions that I made up just out of the whole cloth uh, as to how we could save lives if we had competition and we had an incentive where people could make money by reducing deaths. Yeah. Um, what are some ways of transitioning towards that that type of system? Wow, that's that's a good question. How do you transition toward private? Well, how do you transition toward private post office or a private um, uh, in Canada? What are what do they call it? Canadian uh, CBC? Yes, the CBC, the Canadian yes. Broadcasting yeah. Corporation, um, which is unique. Happily, in the U.S., we don't have anything like that. I mean, the whole point of of the um, um, fourth estate, namely um, uh, newspapers and, and radio and TV, is to uh, shine a light on government. And if the CBC owns the thing, the, the light that's shined is not going to be a, a very bright light. So uh, 
I guess what I do a lot of times when you ask a question is if I don't know the immediate answer, I start extrapolating <laughs> onto other things. So you say, well, how can we transition toward privatizing roads? So my answer is, or my thought is, well, how can you transition toward privatizing the CBC or the post office or the uh, sanitation company or, or something like that? And I guess the answer is to um, vote libertarian. Or, or for Rand Paul for president or, or something like that. And, you know, well, Rand Paul's got a shot at becoming uh, president. Uh, he doesn't call himself a libertarian. He calls, He's a Republican. He calls himself a conservative. But by gum and guy, by golly, he's pretty libertarian. So if he became president, I don't know that he'd privatize the roads and privatize um, uh, sanitation and, and other uh, post office and things like that. But if anyone would do it, he would do it. So one way to transition toward anything good is to um, have more people vote libertarian or uh, through the democratic process. Uh, or another way is uh, to write a book about why we should privatize roads. <laughs> Maybe that would help. Uh, it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> the book came out in 2009. Uh, I'm not expecting it to happen. But, uh, you know, you ask, how could we uh, move in that direction? Well, um, books, articles, what we're now doing. Uh, this um, broadcast is going to go out to uh, hundreds of people, and, and maybe uh, it'll light a fire on some, on some kid who's now 12 years old, and when he grows up, he's going to actively engage in, um, in, in doing this sort of a thing. I mean, that's a tough question. How do we transition toward freedom? Um, it's a rough road to hoe. I mean, look at how many votes libertarians get, you know, a half a percent, one percent, three percent is, whoa, three percent, you know, is great. Uh, but three percent isn't going to cut it. Uh, another way uh, is um, to spread the word is whenever the libertarian gets more votes than the difference between the two or the three, as in Canada, major parties, then people sit up and take notice and say, oh, who are these libertinians or librarians or whatever? <laughs> they don't even know what libertarianism is. Uh, us libertarians or whatever we are. Um, uh, so if we get more of a vote than the difference between the major parties and, and, and are in a position to change the major election, well, that's a big feather in our cap. So these are ways of transitioning, publicizing politics. Um, um, I don't know. Um, uh, let me put in a pitch for a Loyola University. I'm a professor there. I've got colleagues who are free enterprise. And and if uh, students want to study with um, professors who are free enterprise oriented, Loyola University is one such. So that would be a way of promoting liberty as well. Mm -hmm. Um. So I guess the most common argument, or the most common one I run into, against the privatization of roads in particular, uh, is a defense of eminent domain. Uh, can you explain uh, eminent domain and why you don't see it as a strong argument against the privatization of roads? Well, that is a strong argument against the privatization of roads. It's probably the strongest argument against the privatization. I, I, I forget. I, I haven't read the book. I, I wrote the book a while ago. But I think I, I spent a whole chapter on, on just that, that issue. Uh, th that's a very, very powerful argument. Uh, I think uh, they call it something different in Canada, expropriation. Okay, so we, you're in northern Alberta. 
I'm in um, Louisiana, and we want to build a road from northern Alberta. Uh, north, you're north of Edmonton, I guess. No, I'm. I actually live in Calgary. I work in. Oh, I work in northern Alberta, so I'm. Uh, I spend a lot of time up there. That would be north of uh, of Edmonton. Okay, yes. so we want to build a road all the way from north of Edmonton um, uh, to Louisiana. How far is that? I don't know. Five thousand miles, four thousand miles. It's it's a long way. Uh, how many people own property between uh, northern Alberta and Louisiana? I don't know. A couple of million. Uh, I'm, I'm speculating. Let, let's say a million people uh, own own roads, uh, own property, and we want to build a road uh, north south um, um, uh, uh, between these two places. So we start buying up um, areas, and we um, uh, we want to have um, uh, a six lane highway. Each lane is 10 feet wide, and then we want to have a, a place in the middle of 50 feet. Uh, you know, so we need uh, 100 feet wide or 150 feet wide and 4,000 miles long, let's say. I, I don't know if it's 4,000, but somewhere around there. And uh, we start buying up land, and all of a sudden, um, we come. Uh, my favorite uh, character in uh, South Park is Cartman. And uh, Cartman uh, owns some land in, in right in our path. And you know Cartman's favorite uh, uh, saying is "Screw you guys, screw you guys, screw you guys." So what does Cartman say? Cartman is the holdout. He says, "Screw you guys! I'm not I'm not selling you any of my land." And um, now we're stuck. So what's eminent domain or uh, expropriation? We get the government to set, to deal with Cartman, and the government tells Cartman, "Hey, Cartman, uh, yes, you own land, fair and square. However, we're going to take." Um, uh, a, a two mile long and 150 feet wide uh, patch of it, and we're going to uh, commandeer it, and we're going to take it from you, and we'll pay you. Uh, you know, you stinking lousy farm uh, that you've got, and and the farmland all around where you are is uh, um, 10,000 an acre, so we'll pay you 10,000 an acre for this land. And Cartman says, screw you guys. And the government says, no, uh, if you don't agree to this, we're putting him in jail. So that's the way we build the road, based on eminent domain or expropriation. But this is not exactly libertarian. <laughs> Libertarians don't do that. Libertarians don't um, grab people's land and, and pay what we think. I mean, Cartman says, okay, look, I'll sell you the land. It's a trillion dollars. And, and then the government says, not so fast. We're not paying you a trillion dollars. We're paying you 10000 an acre uh, at the rate of 10000 an acre. It's true. It's uh, two miles long and 150 feet wide. I don't know how many acres that is, but whatever it is, uh, we're, we're paying you uh, what the land is worth all around where you are. We're not paying you any trillion dollars. Whereas in under libertarianism, you know, look, I, I now have this, um, uh, th this pencil over here, and I, I can um, – uh, Million dollars. Hey, you want to buy this pencil? Million dollars? I can charge you a million dollars for this pencil. I mean, it's my pencil. You don't. You don't want to pay. You're not getting the pencil. Expropriation and eminent domain is compulsory. Okay, so we libertarians don't believe in that. So how are we gonna? What are we gonna do? Well, one way is uh, right now the road we got is as the crow flies. It's exactly straight. But it doesn't have to be exactly straight. It could, you know, wiggle around this way, wiggle around that way, to get a, get away from Cartman's land. So that's one possibility. 
Another possibility is we could announce we're building a road and, and say, look, here are five or eight uh, paths that we could take. Doesn't have to be straight. And um, as soon and, and what we're going to do is buy options to buy land. So we'll go to uh, a farmer and say, hey, farmer, uh, we, we need um, uh, a mile long and 150 feet wide of your land. Uh, how much would you sell it to us for? And he says, oh, um, you know, 15,000. And we say, well, you know, we're not sure we want to buy it. But we'd like to buy an option to buy it. And you've agreed to 15,000 an acre. Bucks, and now we have the right to buy that land at our discretion, just for a hundred bucks for fifteen thousand, if and when we want to, and and we can even put a time limit of two years or whatever it is. It's going to take a while to assemble all the land. So another way around uh, Cartman, the holdout, is options. Another way is we tell all the people on on Route A, B, C, D, E, F, six paths that we can have. Um, uh, if you guys all get together. <clears throat> we'll um, we'll um, uh, we'll use your road, and we'll pay you double wh whatever it, it, whatever it is that you'd agree to. So there are various ways of doing it. But but suppose Cartman owns land not not north south but east west, and it covers fifty miles. <laughs> Namely, <laughs> we 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 can't go. Uh, I mean, you know, our road can't go through Virginia and our road can't go through California. <laughs> you know, there's a limit as to how, how wide the paths can be. You, you really, it's too bad you're not taping this because part of, part of this is the hand movements. Well, what, what, what can you do? Um, so now um, what happened is my son and I, he was then 15, and from his age 15 to maybe 17, we discussed nothing but this. How could we? How could we deal with Cartman? And what we came up with was, um, we'll build a tunnel under his land or a bridge over his land. And now you have to get into football. Why is it in football that you can make um, uh, uh, more territory when when you're at your own goal line than when you're at the other guy's goal line? Why, why uh, when you're five yards away from the other guy's goal line, is it so hard to just get five yards? Whereas if you're in the middle of the field, five yards, the, the, the defense will almost concede. Well, maybe they won't concede five yards, but they'll concede two yards. And if you're two yards away from the other guy's goal line, they're not conceding anything. They're going to have a goal line stand. Why is it? Well, the answer is you've got more territory when you're in midfield or at your own goal line than when you're at the other guy's goal line. You, you're sort of crammed in there. Well, this analysis works in favor of uh, us against Cartman, the holdout. Namely, Cartman has got 15 miles to defend, right? He's east-west 15 or 20 or 50 miles or whatever it is. He's got to defend all of that because uh, if he knows we're going to build a tunnel or uh, if we're going to build a tunnel, then he's going to put sticks down under his road, uh, uh, under his holdings. But he's got to put sticks down for 50 miles, and all we have to do is get that football through, and our football is only 150 feet wide. So we're going to beat him. So, I mean, this is a little convoluted, and it's very theoretical, but, you know, <laughs> if you want to prove libertarianism, you have to get off your rear end and, and think about things. And this was the thoughts of my son and I. Uh, interesting uh, tidbit, uh, we were ready to publish this then, and... I wanted to make him co-author because 
I wrote it all. He didn't write anything, but we, we came up with this stuff discussing through discussion. And he said, well, no one will ever believe it. I'm, you know, I'm 16 years old. And I said, but is it true? He said, well, of course it's true. I said, we're going with the truth. We're we're not going with, um, uh, with what people think. So he's the co-author. And then a very famous economist, uh, this is long before my book came out in 2009. This is when my son was a kid. This was in uh, in the eighties. So the first part of my book was just articles. And I put the articles together to make it into a book. Well, Gordon Tullock, a very famous economist, almost won a Nobel Prize, uh, wrote an article criticizing the blocks, saying why we're all wrong on this. And and then um, uh, I wrote a, a response to Gordon Tullock um, uh, on this. Uh, so I, I was delighted to have a very, very famous economist uh, condescend to criticize little old me's article on on privatization and it's interesting because he's a a, a, a a leading creator of the public choice school which is supposed to be free enterprise and yet he's criticizing my free enterprise stuff so public choice is a little less free enterprise than they otherwise could have been yeah absolutely uh okay walter well thanks a lot for coming on that was that was wonderful um, I do have your book also, uh, Water Capitalism. Uh, maybe next time we'll have you on, we can, we can talk about that one. Yeah, we got to privatize uh, rivers, lakes, oceans, whatever. Sure, in a month or so, uh, I enjoyed it. You're a great interviewer. Uh, let's do this again. And, and then I have a third book in this series on um, space, why we should privatize the moon and Mars and the space race. Oh. So we can have two sessions. Okay, I will. I will have. I will get my hands on that one, and I will read water capitalism through to the end until we have you on. I haven't finished the the road, the roads and highways yet. So, anyway, Walter, take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. Take care. Bye. That was Walter Block talking about his book, "The Privatization of Roads and Highways." You can follow me on Twitter at Darcy Giroux. And to make sure that you never miss an episode of the Darcy Giroux podcast, subscribe on Substack. <laughs>